Amen, amen, amen. Happy Father's Day, New Spring Church. To all the men, the dads out there, we love you. We're pumped for you. Hey, you can start a round of applause right there in your living room for your dad if you want to. That's okay. We love you, dad. And uh, hey, we're gonna get into the text in just a moment, but I wanna take a second right here for the dads. And I wanna just say that, uh, that we celebrate you. And I'm gonna give you a chance in your room or maybe you're watching this with your home group or, or maybe you're driving down the road and listening to this on the podcast. I wanna give you a second right now to celebrate your dad. Push pause right now and tell your dad one reason why you love him. And then I wanna invite somebody in the room, if you're in the room with your dad, to pray for dad. Maybe it's mom, maybe it's a son or daughter. Somebody stop and pray for dad and then, and then we'll get on with the service. Why don't you take a moment right now to do that wherever you are. And hey, if your dad's not with you, take this opportunity to push pause and send your dad an encouraging text and let him know how much you love him on Father's Day. Go ahead and do that right now. Well, awesome. I'm so, so grateful. Uh, as we jump into Colossians chapter two, I've got to move quickly. I wanna invite you to follow along on the app. If you've got your notes out, they'll be there. If not, you can open up the app right now or pull out your journal. And uh, here's what's going on in Colossians two. We talked about Colossians one last week with Pastor Danny, did a phenomenal job. But how many of you have, have seen this YouTube video? It's probably gonna be on social media today. It'll be making its way onto Facebook or YouTube because it's Father's Day. It's this video video of dads saving the day. Have y'all seen this? It's like dad's got a child in this arm and is watching a child swing and, and all of a sudden the child's about to do a backflip out of the swing and dad like swoops in and scoops the kid up. Have you seen this video? Or, or dad's out like near the baseball field and somebody catches a baseball, boom! And dad just kind of out of the side of his eye in the periphery realizes that baseball's gonna hit my daughter in the head and just like, stop! And he saves the day. Have y'all, y'all seen this? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Watching at home. It's an incredible video of how dads are real life superheroes. They look just simple and calm until they're needed the most and they come in and they like scoop a kid up right before the runaway car runs over them or right before like the rabid neighborhood dog attacks that baby. They scoop the kid up. That's the spirit of Paul in Colossians chapter two. As we read chapter two and we just got a chance to lean into it as, as Maine was reading it for us, the entire book of Colossians was written for the content that we're talking about today. Uh, chapter one's incredible. It's got a lot of quotable verses. You've probably seen them before. You've heard them before. And we're talking about Jesus is the supreme. He's the primary. He's the number one. He's the firstborn of all creation. And all of these like beautiful passages that we put on coffee cups, same thing in three and four. But the reason that Paul penned the letter of Colossians chapter, uh, or the book of Colossians is for Colossians chapter two. And Paul is swooping in and he's snatching up this baby church, these baby Christians, Christians that he's not met, but he's heard about from his friend Epaphras. And he wants to make sure that they don't get swept away in the currents of what is happening in society. So what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna tell the Colossians church in chapter two, not necessarily what they wanna hear, but what they need to hear. And it's a fatherly tone. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just honest right here. I need a pastor. I need a spiritual father in my life many times to tell me what I need to hear, not what I wanna hear. So as we lean into this scripture today and we take notes today, I want you to know that that is, that is the, the, 
the urgency I feel, and I just want to say just out loud, one of the things, one of the ways by which you can measure the church you attend and the pastor you sit under and the teaching that you lean into is from time to time, you need to feel that they're not telling you what you want to hear, but potentially what you need to hear because they love the scripture. And many times in the scriptures, God loves us enough, just like a dad with their kid to say, baby, you can't have sugar all the time. It's gonna ruin your supper. You can't play in the road, you're gonna get killed. You can't, you can't do these things because I love you enough and I'm raising you up and being the spiritual dad that I am, I wanna make sure you hear the things that you need to hear, not what you wanna hear. That's what Paul does in this book. So here's what I wanna make mention of. I wanna point out verses four and verses eight before we begin because this is where that language is used. Let's read it together in Colossians chapter two, verse four. Paul writes this and he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments, all right? So he wants to make sure that they're recognizing that there is deception in, in the world that's trying to get them to lean into the arguments, okay? And he doesn't want them to be deceived. He says it again in eight, look at this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So the crux of this whole conversation, the reason that he wrote this book is because the people there, the baby Christians in Colossae had been following Jesus, had accepted Christ, had received him as their savior and Lord, but now there was deception and there was philosophy coming in and taking them captive and they would, had begun to walk in that. He wants to make sure he can snatch them up and save them from the peril at hand. And so here's the deal. I, I, I want to make sure that we're recognizing this because we, just like in Colossae, we live in a world where many of us, if we're honest, have made a decision to follow Christ. We would say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I've received him. Maybe it was when I was 13 or nine or maybe last year. But, but we've got to recognize that there is worldly spiritual forces that are trying to deceive and take you captive, us captive. And we want to point them out today and recognize that God has made a way for you and I to recognize and walk in freedom, not in captivity. So let me show you where, because seated right between these two verses, verse four and verse eight, I believe is Paul's solution, God's solution for you and I. So let's look at verse six, okay? Verses six and seven, Paul writes these words. He says this, so then church, just as you received, now I'm gonna come back to this word in just a moment, okay? So just in a minute, I'm gonna come back to this word. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, let me come to this word received real quick because I want you to know that we read that in the English and the NIV we're reading here and it's passive, right? When we receive something, it's just like I sit here and you bring it to me, I receive it. But in the original language in the Greek, when Paul wrote this, he is actually, he's encouraging them to, this word doesn't mean just to sit back and receive, it means to come and take. That's how you receive it. And just as you have come and taken the cross of Jesus and you have received his sacrifice there and you have received following him, I wanna invite you to come and take again these other things. So I want you to see the active sense 
of this word. And here's the deal. I've underlined three sections here in the text, and I want to give us some words because this is the language that Paul is using. And there's three pictures here, three metaphors. The first one is he invites them to continue to live your lives. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the word relationship. Relationship. That's what the language here talks about. If you're potentially reading out of the ESV or the New King James, the language is not live your lives. It's come and walk with him. It's, it's the language of relationship. I, I don't know, maybe like um, many of you, I've been taking a lot of walks with my family in these coronavirus days. Every single Monday night, my wife and I kind of have this routine. Um, I don't know what trash day is at your house, but trash day is first thing on Tuesday morning at my house, 6.30. The trash cans get picked up by the trash garbage man. And so on Monday night, after we run the marathon of doing the dinner and doing the baths and getting the kids to bed and getting the kids to bed again and giving them the drink of water that they wanted to have. And they knew their, you know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. And they, you go through the dance with the kids and you finally get them down. Monday night, my wife and I, it's really romantic. We take a walk with our trash cans out to the road rolling our trash cans out to the road. We set them down and we hold hands and we walk back and we talk about life. It's every single week something that we do, we walk because walking is what you do in a relationship. You don't go on walks with your enemies, you go on walks with your friends. This is the language of relationship. The second thing I wanna point out is I want you to look right here at verse seven, it says rooted. This is the language, second word of agriculture, right? Rooted, agriculture. And so he's gonna use this metaphor as an encouragement to the church there in Colossae to recognize that, hey, you can be rooted. And again, uh, just a truth of agriculture is that you don't plant a seed and eat the fruit on the same day, amen? There's a process involved and it takes time. Uh, we have some friends that planted a garden. Our next door neighbors actually planted a garden. They're in this room right now. As a matter of fact, while I'm preaching this, it's Riley and Tara Cummings and they brought over the first fruits of their garden just this last week in a basket that was some zucchini and squash and they gave their first fruits away to their neighbors who were very grateful for them and satisfied in them. But they did not plant the zucchini and the squash the same day that they gave us the fruit. You see, agriculture requires a process. And the third thing as well is this language built up. Built up, if you're writing down notes, I want you to write down the word construction. Construction. Because Paul is gonna use this built up construction language to encourage this church to recognize again that you do not have a plan to build a building and then begin living in the building on the same day. There's a whole long journey from the time that you have the idea in your head to set up the building or to build the home to the time you actually get to live in the home and enjoy it. It's a process. So it doesn't matter if it's a relationship. It doesn't matter if it's agriculture. It doesn't matter if it's construction. What Paul is inviting the church into and inviting us into is the recognition that we are called as Christians to embrace the process. And I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like that, right? I mean, we are westernized Christians. We want immediate. We want, I want that now. I want to purchase it now. I want to order it and have Amazon Prime roll it up to my house right now. We want it now. 
But this is the issue with the church many times. This is the issue with following Jesus many times is he wants to take us on a relationship journey. He wants to take us through seasons of growth and pruning and fruit and repruning and going through the journey again. He wants to take us on a construction process. Colossians chapter two, he's telling us what we need to hear, not what we wanna hear. And what we need to hear is that this whole thing is a process. We have to church embrace the process. One of my favorite quotes, I think it's at the essence of this. It's a business quote, but I think you'll understand it. I heard one time it takes 15 years to see an overnight success. And I think that's kind of the essence here is that we wanna see it immediately, but God is inviting us into the journey. And so here is the deal, church, following Jesus and celebrating him cannot just be a one-time moment. It's gotta be a journey of life. There are currents at work in our culture today, just like they were in Colossians, in the Colossians church, that we've got to recognize. Two primary currents that I wanna talk to you about today. Uh, And before I talk about currents, I wonder if any of you have ever experienced currents. It's the summertime. Many of you may be going out to the beach, be taking a family vacation, or maybe you're lamenting that your family vacation got canceled because of the coronavirus and you're trying to figure out when you're gonna get to take the kids on a vacation. But I remember growing up, every single summer, we would try to take a week's vacation at the beach. And I have one brother, he's younger than me, and so I was the older brother. And I remember getting to the beach and being old enough finally that mom and dad would like and parents, you guys love this. You look forward to these things too, that you can like sit in your chair on the beach and your kids are old enough where you don't have to walk around holding their hand everywhere they go, worried about them. And so mom and dad could just sit down and open a book up and cut us boys loose. You know, we're 12, 11, 13 years old and we would get out in the water and we would do everything. Body surfing, boogie boarding, seashells, walking up and down the beach, seeing how far out we could swim. We're going crazy. But one of the, the realities of going to the beach that I, I remember experiencing as a young man, the first times I started to kind of go was my brother and I would be out in the waves and we'd be diving and swimming and jumping and playing and enjoying. And then you had that moment where you turn around and look back to the shore only to realize, wait a minute, where's mom and dad's lawn chair? Wait, 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 where's, where, uh, where are mom and dad? Where's the hotel building? Where's the house? Or where, where's that landmark? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Not at me if you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden you realize that Oh my goodness, I've been in the water playing, but for the last 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, I've not realized that the current, the Gulf Stream has moved me up the beach and I am no longer where I began. And I wanna say that there is a current in the earth that'll do that to the Christian journey. It's subtle and it's slow and it's over time. And you might've been saved at 15, but this current can move you by the time you're 35 and you turn around in a moment and realize, holy cow, I've moved a long way from where I began. That's current number one. Current number two is a little bit more intense. And I've only experienced this one time. And I can tell you, it was one of those markers in my life that I'll never forget. My brother and I were swimming. Mom and dad were on the beach. We had been really going out and we're trying to swim. And I don't know if you've ever done this. This doesn't, it sounds like a ridiculous idea now as a parent, but I thought it was a great idea while I was 13. My brother and I are seeing how far out into the ocean we could swim like how far out you can touch and you kind of get to that place where you're kind of jumping with the waves and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I can't touch anymore and you're like swimming and we're way out, we're way out, we're way out. I bet I'm 13, my brother's probably 11. And all of a sudden I hear the voice of my dad, hey, and it sounds like, wow, that's a long way off. Boys, he's waving, you can kind of see him on the beach. Hey, come back in here, right? He's giving you this big, 
And I, and you know, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but whenever you see that on the beach, I, for whatever reason, I just think in my head, there's a shark in the water. They've seen a shark. I can't see the shark. It's a shark. There was no shark, okay? But, but here's what I remember happening. I remember turning around and trying to obey my dad and my brother and I start to swim as hard as we can back to the shore. And the harder we swam, it seemed like the further out we went. And then it was like, wait, maybe I'm just, I'm imagining that. Uh, I'm gonna swim a little bit harder. And I start swimming a little bit harder. And then I realized, no, 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 I'm not imagining that. We are in some kind of serious current. I'd later find out we were in a rip current and there was no way we were getting out of it. I knew it was serious when I could hear my brother who is not this way at all. I could hear him panicking. You know, this is a sibling. You hear the panic sound of a young, younger sibling and he's yelling, Brad, help me, help me. And then I hear his panic escalate to the point of we're swimming and there's tears involved and we're swimming and there's panic and there's all this emotion and it seemed like it went on for a long time and then finally for whatever reason God's sovereign plan we break out of that rip current and we get back into the waters and we we get to the shore and we're standing on the beach and we're breathing heavy and we we're really like what in the world just happened and dad came over and he's you know intense dad mode where he's like boys what were you doing don't ever swim out that far again and, and we're trying to breathe and we're crying and we're panicked and it was all just one big emotional ball but let me tell you this those currents are in life as well there are rip currents in our world today and if we're not careful They'll grab us when we least expect us and they'll pull us away from where we were intended to be. And Paul is writing to the church and he's speaking about both of these two currents. So I, I want you to know what I believe these two currents are. And so if you're taking down notes, I want you to write down these things because I think the first current that's subtle that he was writing to the church in Colossians about was this one. Here it is, you ready for it? The first current that's subtle is that this, they, the Colossians church, had settled for a transactional moment with Jesus and Paul wrote to invite them into a transformational life. That's a current in Christianity. That you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and there's a transaction of all of your wrong for all of his right. That's true. But Jesus wants to invite you into more than just a simple transaction 10 years ago. He wants to invite you and I into a transformational life. And Paul was writing to them saying, there's a current and if you're not aware of it, you'll receive Christ at 15 or 20 or 25, and then you'll live the rest of your life. And before you know it, you're a long way from where you started because there's a current in life working to pull you away from where you began. It's, it's subtle. And it's, it's one of those things that works over time. And so I wanna to say to you, church, I believe that's a reality. I believe if you are in a place where you are bored with your faith, and you're bored following Jesus, more than likely it's because you have settled for a transactional exchange with Jesus instead of a transformational life. This is why people walk away, by the way, from the church, because they got what they needed at 15 and they live the rest of their life however they wanna live it. And so they look back and well, I mean, I'm saved. I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. I've made the transaction, but in the meantime, I'm gonna pursue everything else I wanna pursue and I'll just cash in on that get out of hell free card when I die. That is not the gospel. That's what Paul is writing to the church about. He's saying, don't settle for transactional gospel when he's invited you into a trans formative life. That's current number one. Current number two, and one that's a little bit more violent and a little bit more deadly, if you're not aware of it, is this one. And it's just simply stated, I think Paul was writing to the church to make sure they understood that they had settled for Christ as an accessory. And Paul wrote to encourage them to make Christ the priority. 
They had settled for him as an accessory and, and Jesus wants you to know, and Paul wanted to write to say, no, 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 Christ can never be an accessory. He must be the priority. I've got an illustration in order to, to show you this because I was actually thinking about this the other day and I was walking through this uh, sermon with some of the teaching team and actually Dan Leanne and I were talking about this and where do you talk about all great sermons and ideas? Waffle House. And so we made our way to Waffle House and I was explaining this to him and, and at the Waffle House, the cross was actually a bottle of ketchup, but I'm gonna actually use a cross up here today. Here's what can happen in our world if we're not sure about it. Um, if we're not aware of the current, this rib current can come along and we can start with Jesus right in the center, Jesus at the center of it all. But then all these other things get involved in our life, right? And so let's, let's just use this water bottle for instance. And we'll say, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe the political world is involved in our life or maybe there's these other things. Maybe, maybe it's our sexuality get involved in our life or maybe there's these other, it's our career. Our career gets involved. And so Jesus starts in the center, but what can happen is he ends up getting pushed fast in moments of real intensity, like what we're dealing with right now in our country. And before you know it, Jesus is an accessory on the fringes of our life, but we've replaced the center of our life, the, the focus of our life, the purpose of our life is now no longer Christ. He's on the table, he's not off the table, but now we listen more to Tucker Carlson than we do read our Bible. Or maybe it's Don Lemon. Or maybe it's not politics at all. You received Christ when you were 15, but now your sexuality is driving and it's your dating and relating and lifestyle. And the rip currents, and they happen real fast. And oh, by the way, let me just say this pastorally. I want you to know you can recognize this is occurring in our culture because there's a lot of, you can Google and find anybody to justify your stance and what you wanna say yes to. And if you, wanna, if you wanna date and relate and have sex with whoever you wanna date and relate and have sex with, you can find someone who qualifies themselves as a Christian to tell you that is okay, that is fine. Jesus is the accessory. Your sexuality is actually the thing that's driving your life. And that's what Paul wrote to the Colossians church to warn them about don't let Christ become an accessory on the fringes. He must be the priority. And then when he is the priority, everything else will fall into place. And so I just wanna say clearly, I don't know what this potentially is in your life. It could be your career. It could be your kids. It could be your family. It could be your 401k or your 403b. But when you really stop and evaluate your life, is there a chance that there's been a current in your life that has created Jesus is over here, he's now the accessory, but really if I'm honest in this moment, he's not at the center. My job is, my family is, my political view is, my, my initiatives are, he's an accessory, he's no longer the priority. And so what I wanna do is I wanna tell you what you need to hear, like Paul tells you what you need to hear, not what you wanna hear and give you a chance to recognize that this is a loving father trying to raise a small baby church and he's raising us 2,000 years later to take a stop, pause, look, to recognize where Jesus and the finished work of the cross is really in our life. Because the evangelical church in America has settled for so much transactional Christianity and so much accessorizing of the cross that we can't hardly even recognize the true gospel in so many churches. This is why everybody's yelling 
This is why we're living in an age of outrage and everybody can use and weaponize Bible verses to try to make their point. But if we'd recognize, maybe perhaps, we've subtly or in a rip current way allowed the cross to leave the center of our lives. You know, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said something that's super powerful and I think it'll be helpful for us today. And it's a truth. He actually started his 95 theses, the ones that were nailed on the doors of Wittenberg, Germany, um, that again, created the Reformation. He started it by saying this about the Christian life. Here's what he says. Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So what he's saying here is that the great gift of our heavenly father is the ability to again and 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 again for the rest of our life, for the all of our life to pause and stop and look and reflect and say, okay, wait a minute. Is my thinking aligned with God's thinking? Is my life aligned with God's life? Is my future and my destiny and my family aligned with God's thinking? Or if I pushed Jesus to the excess fringes, not off the table. Again, South Carolinians, hear me. Very few people do I meet have pushed the cross all the way off the table. They've not done that. They've they've allowed Jesus and the cross and their salvation experience from 20 years ago to to be there. And that's important. But we've got to, again, come back and say, wow, I, I need to recognize that I have been putting other things in the currents of life. It caused me to move other things to the center of it all. And if I really looked at my bank account, my bank account doesn't say Jesus is at the center of it all. It says that is. Or if I really looked at the time I spent in the evenings, it would say that that news outlet is the center of it all. Or that political talking head is the center of it all. Or that social justice movement is the center of it all. Or again, pick a zillion different things. My kids, my career, my schooling, all of those things are fine and they're incredible and they're important, but they will not have meaning in our lives until, lasting meaning in our lives, until they are seen and they are leveraged through the truth of the gospel and the cross must be at the center. And I'll tell you what, church, when you wrestle with something like this as a preacher, you recognize that two things are true. I love the word of God, don't you? It tells me so often what I need to hear, not what I wanna hear. I love it. But so often I can just be honest with you and say, I don't like it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I love it, but man, I don't like it sometimes. And Colossians chapter two is one of those moments where God invites us in to a deep wrestle, not with the exterior things, but instead with the internal things. Now listen, this is a really important point. Paul finishes the chapter by talking about all the externals. Remember, don't handle, don't touch. All of, all of those externals, if you and I are doing our religion for the externals from, from the outside in, we'll miss the point. We'll be swept away in the currents and we'll feel like we're constantly reacting. But instead he says, no, 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 come back to the receiving. Receive it on the inside. And when you receive it on the inside, instead of the world happening to you, Christ in you and I starts to happen to the world. That's the difference. That's the Christian life. So here's what we're gonna do. We're about to sing a beautiful song, one that so many of us know. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I wanna just invite you into the good gift of repentance. Again, 
to seeing Jesus today and seeing his cross today in a fresh way. On this Father's Day, to recognize the fathering voice of our big brother Paul, who loved us enough to tell us not what we wanna hear, but what we need to hear, especially in America in 2020, in an election year where it's just gonna get louder and louder and louder. And the world so often can feel like it's happening to us, but his invitation is to come and repent, align your thinking with the cross and the victory of Jesus so that you then can start happening to the world and then you'll shine bright. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you love us well in your scriptures and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and, and it can cut us up and it can, and it can create, Lord, uh, in us the, the healing we need. And God, all of us, every single one of us needs to experience this healing. None of us are perfect, none of us are right. We're all on this beautiful journey. And so Lord, I pray for all of us that we would say no to just transactional Christianity, but we would say yes again to a transformative life. God, I pray today that we would, we would recognize the current that is in our world where we, where we can just so simply, again, just, just the, the moment and we can give ourselves to just the moment and we, and we miss ultimately that God has invited us into a journey with him of priority, not being an accessory, but he is at the center. So turn our hearts now, our focus now upon you, Jesus, for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. Amen.